Hi, folks. Steve Urban here. Today's episode of the Rutterflex podcast is sponsored by Marketing 360. My good friend J.B. Kellogg and his team do such a fantastic job for us and so many other companies. Marketing 360 is the number one platform for small business, and it's everything you need to grow your business. If you need marketing support, I really encourage you to contact them at marketing360.com slash writerflex, and we'll add that link to the description of this episode for easy reference. On today's episode of the Riderflex podcast, we have guest Tom Pardikes. He's the co-founder and CEO of GameSense Sports, a science-based athlete performance company developing the next generation of decision-making tools. Okay. Let's see here. I'm waiting for my wife to uh, leave the podcast room here because she's over there making noise, so I'm kind of stalling for just two seconds. It's funny because you see sure. like these late night show hosts doing everything from their their uh, you know their houses these days. <laughs> right, he's helping out. You know, <laughs> wives are running the cameras. Totally true. Um, Tom Pardikes on the Rider Flex podcast. How you doing, Tom? Doing great, Steve. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you being on. Cool uh, business you got going on. I love it. When I was doing my homework, I was thinking to myself, "Wow, I wish I." had that for my boys when they were growing up because they, they played sports. And so love it. Can't wait to get into it. But um, tell us about yourself personally first. Let's, let's do some uh, history, right? Some background, some family, some school. Tell us about Tom. Okay. That sounds good. Uh, well, I was actually born, we'll go way back, California, Eureka, California. Okay. Where I would end up going to college one day, many years later. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you've ever been in the North Pacific Northwest. Eureka's way up there. Yeah. Um, so it's about six hours north of San Francisco in okay. the Redwoods. Beautiful place. Beautiful area. Yeah. Uh, but my dad grew up here in Denver, and they decided to come back to Denver to be with around his parents to just provide support for raising a, a child. And so I, I grew up out in Aurora, Colorado. Uh, okay. So high school, Aurora High School. Rangeview, Colorado, Rangeview Raiders. I don't think they even call themselves the Raiders these days. They're like the Jets or something like that. I think it was oh. offensive to the Raiders, yeah. Okay, and you were an athlete in high school, I'm guessing? Absolutely, yeah. I, I mean, that's what I did is I played sports. I was kind of a nerd jock, a weird combination. I would spend my uh, lunch hours in the library, and then after school, I would be always playing sports. So I, I grew up playing every sport I could, start off with soccer, and then uh, – I started getting, I played football and then the soccer people said, hey, maybe you should stop playing soccer because I think you're, you're a little too, too rough now. So I just, <laughs> <laughs> were you, uh, were you bigger? Like, were you a little larger than average uh, kid or what was your size? <clears throat> yeah. I always played up. Um, okay. So I, I started my career strangely as a center and a nose guard, which was absolutely ridiculous. Really? Uh, Cause then I ended up my career playing safety and running back and safety um, going forward. So, but I love the hit. That was my, my claim to fame. <laughs> did you, uh, did you uh, have brothers and sisters? I was the oldest. My brother is seven years younger than me, which yeah. is a big, big difference, but we're best friends. He was a heck of an athlete, probably better than I was. Um, yeah. So we, we grew up together Okay. Uh, every day, you know, out, out in the street, playing baseball, playing football, playing basketball, those kind of, those kind of days. 
Now, uh, was your dad an athlete or your mom or both? Or who'd you get that from? It's a really good question. My dad was not. He never even made the – I don't think he even made the JV team. <laughs> he's listening. He's, he's going to listen – He's going to listen to this episode. He's going to be like, did you really have to bring that up? <laughs> he admits it. He said, I don't know where you two came from. Uh, my uncle was a really good football player. He played down at Arizona State for a bit. Uh, okay. And then my mom also ran track throughout high school. So Ah, okay. Okay. I don't know. All right. All right. Something there. Similar, uh, uh, similar situation. My, my youngest uh, boy was a pretty good football player and played, played quarterback in high school. And I – and I never even, I mean, I never even made varsity team like on anything. And, you know, so when I, of course he knew that. So when I was trying to like, you know, give him some dad coaching, like, he whatever. Was, <laughs> he's a junior and a senior. He'd be like, dad, please. He's like, you don't even. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, so you, you were on to play co uh, college football too, I think for a little bit. I did. I did. So I, in high school, I played basketball, baseball, and football. And then I stopped playing basketball and lifted basically. Okay. Uh, and then out of, out of high school, I kind of got burnt out because I was always playing football and baseball and I loved it, but I just didn't care. I, I really started getting into music. Okay. Um, and so I didn't even, wasn't even thinking about it. I, I had some scholarship offers, was in, got some interest from other people, uh, some schools, but I didn't care. All right. And so I moved out to California not even thinking about football or anything like that. Uh, my parents said they would pay for one year. And so I ended up going to San Bernardino because it was the cheapest California school I could find. And you just wanted to be out, you just wanted to be out West. I just wanted to be out West. I'd gone okay. back and forth. We were always, so my other family, I almost grew up in Oxnard. I don't know where, if you know where Oxnard, yeah. California is. Ventura. Yeah. Right on the beach. Okay. They decided, hey, you better go back, back to that what we were talking about earlier where they said, we better go back to Colorado. I don't want this guy to be a beach bum. <laughs> so I went out to San Bernardino and you know, San Bernardino, nothing against San Bernardino, but it's not LA. It's not, I mean, it is, I guess it's way out there. It's not the beach. Right. Right. So that was a little tough. Uh, didn't like it. And then <clears throat> my dad actually suggests, why don't you go see if you like Northern California? So I Which decided to apply. Which is a whole different, which is a whole different planet, almost really, from San Bernardino. It's a completely I mean, different state. Yeah, it is yeah, totally, totally. Planet, right? Yep, totally, totally agree. Uh, but I loved it, so I went up there, um, just fell in love with it. It's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. uh, although I tell you, the first winter I was up there, I thought I was going to kill myself. It was three months straight of rain. Yeah, and being a Colorado kid. Yeah, you know, used to that sunshine. <laughs> Oh man, it was rough. <laughs> everybody, everybody I always talk to that it moves from there, whether it's Portland or Seattle or, or where you're talking about, that's the first thing they say is, you know, if it just didn't rain all the time, it'd be the greatest place on earth. <laughs> <laughs> but if it didn't rain all the time, it wouldn't be so beautiful. Yeah, right. Yep. Trade off, right? Yep. So anyways, I went up north uh, and I ended up rooming with a football player. And I kind of just got the bug again. I'm like, you know what? I, I can still play this. And I wanted to. So I walked on. Oh, wow. Um, no scholarship, no nothing. And uh, ended up playing that first year, started lifting it again. And then next year, started, got a scholarship. And that was kind of the rest of the story. Nice. And after that, I um, came back to Colorado, was still interested in doing playing. 
uh, one of my old football coaches, Mike Hageman, um, was good friends with the uh, Overland coach who knew a guy named Sam Pagano. And I don't know if you know his sons, Paganos. Yes. And Sam's kind of a legendary coach, uh, okay. coached at Fairview in Boulder for a long time. And he said, um, yeah, well, we know a bunch of European teams that are looking for players, kind of an ambassador. You're not talking about super high level, but there was former NFL, Canadian, bunch of college football players over there. So mm -hmm. what the heck? Said, so send some film. So I sent some film. And like a month later, I find myself in Helsinki trying to deal with the midnight sun and play football, which how was, about that? Which is cool, right? For, cause you were how old? 20, 21 or something. How old I was, were you? Yeah, 21. Exactly. I mean, you know, were you single? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah, so single guy, there. single guy, 21, get to go overseas, play football. I mean, come on. That's yeah. I mean, that's pretty cool. Right. <laughs> it was one of the greatest times of my life. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Awesome. So I got to play in Finland for a year. I actually tore my ACL, but mm. rehabbed it. Then Sam invited me back. He got a job with an Italian team. So then I went down to Italy and I ended up staying in Italy for the next two years playing down, down there. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. That was a great experience. And then come out of that, I realized that, you know what, if I'm going to do something here, I better get back into school. If that was my passion before I killed too many brain cells with football. Now, now your BA though, when you got your bachelor's, it was anthropology, right? Right. You're absolutely right. Okay. Now, so when you're, when you're playing in Italy, you think, are you thinking, I know I need to go back to school. I'm not sure what I want to do. Or did you have an idea what you wanted to do then? I think most people have. In fact, I'm always, I, I don't trust people that know exactly what they want. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I think That's so true. No, I, so I started going back because you're right, I, anthropology. Although during that anthropology, I also started doing a lot of, taking a lot of physics courses. I was I very interested in that. <clears throat> So I, I was, I've always been interested in behavior okay. and why animals and human animals particularly do what they do and how they, they think. So I went back and started thinking about, all right, I'm, I'm interested in this. And I'm also interested in, in religion because that's a really powerful behavior. Mm -hmm. uh, so I applied to a bunch of schools, ended up going to New Mexico State where I studied basically native practices of the indigenous people down there. Wow particularly the Hopi. So which is, there's a bunch of Pueblan people down there who were the, their ancestors were what we call the Anasazi. Okay. Uh, so that was a fascinating time down there in the desert. I don't know if you've been down deep. I have. The yep. Chihuahua Desert, but beautiful. Right by White hey, Sands. Scholarship? Are you paying, kind of paying your way and working through school or how are you doing it? That's exactly what I had to do. So that's, I, I still am paying off some money. Uh, I was fortunate <laughs> to get everything else paid off during my, my uh, quest in academia, but yep. Okay. Took out a loan. Uh, I was right. working at the student center, uh, opening and closing as a manager, a building manager and doing anthropology. So two now, years out there. Now, when you, when you got there though, the cool thing is, is when you were out meeting people and you're getting, you're getting dates and things like things like that, you could say, Hey, listen, I played football in Italy. I don't think any other guy around here did that. So, <laughs> uh, you know, that helped that, out that card a little bit sometimes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I bet your friends are like, Jesus, here you go. He's there bringing this up again. It's uh, <laughs> pretty funny. Okay. okay. Okay, cool. All right, go ahead. So yeah, working your way through, getting your master's. Getting the master's, 
loving it. But at the same time, I'm thinking, you know what, this is cool, but this is qualitative. Uh, it's neat to think about the brain. And, and really, I was just thinking about consciousness and behavior at that point. Okay. But the more interesting thing was the impetus of that, which was really the nervous system in the brain. Hmm. Hmm. So coming out of anthropology, uh, actually, during my second year, I said, okay, I'm going to go I'm not done with this. I need to go understand a little bit more about neuroscience. So we took the GRE, started that whole process again, trying to get finish up my master's and applying for grad schools. Okay. And I was basically looking at neuroscience programs and biological psychology programs. Um, went and toured around to a bunch of schools and ended up going to a Virginia Tech and worked with my mentor, Bruce Friedman who was an expert in the autonomic nervous system. So I don't know if you're familiar with the, the old ANS. No. <laughs> it's, it's basically what controls our body that's primarily non-conscious. So it's controlling your heart. It's controlling your skin, you know, like galvanic skin response. So how much are your pores opening and closing I see. based on adrenaline, uh, all those kind of chemicals that are constantly running through our, our bodies. Um, and it's kind of, you know, it's in the background, but it is the root of almost everything we're doing. So that was really fascinating to me. It, and it sounds like you were, and now you're headed towards a doctorate, and it almost sounds like you were doing it because you're just fascinated and interested in it, and you didn't really know how it was going to apply, apply professionally yet. Is that accurate? You're exactly right, Steve. I mean, I think that's always guided me, and that's for good or, or for bad. Okay. It's okay. What are my passions? What do I want to do? And... Mm -hmm the torpedoes right let the cards fall <laughs> where they may um, okay. and that's exactly right so from there we started uh studying that you know that i had a lot of catching up to do i'd never done any much biological stuff certainly I'd never done any psychology before uh so i but i loved it it was a pleasure a joy to, to study that and out of that i really was getting in and i would always been interested in martial arts and the kind of meditation and Taoism and philosophy like that. Okay. And so I, I started studying meditation and I was really interested in how these monks could do things that were not possible. They, I was reading stuff about Hindu monks and practitioners who were able to go into earthen pits and be covered for days on end, not eating, no defecation, no urination, no nothing, and be able to slow down their heart rates to like 30 beats a minute. Hmm. almost like a hibernation state. And so those things really fascinated me. I've always been interested in those kind of weird anomalies out there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I decided this, that that was going to be what I was going to study. Was how are these guys basically taking control of autonomic functions? How do they do these things that are primarily non-conscious? How do they and gain if, conscious control? And if everybody could figure that out, couldn't we heal ourselves if we were sick? I, Is, you know... I don't know how far that goes, but certainly if you look at healing and the, the ability to relax and remain calm and breathe and, mm -hmm. and, and maybe even control uh, immunological responses, yeah. The reason, reason I ask that question is I'm always hearing doctors say, well, you, you know, stress causes all these other, you, you know, you're, all these other problems. Yeah. And so when I hear that, I go, okay, so your mind can cause you to be sick and have pain. If that's true, can it? can it heal you too? Anyway, not to go down a rabbit hole, but I always I wonder you're about absolutely that. Right. You're absolutely right. 
I mean, you think about, you said it, stress causes this. Well, stress, stress is a lot of things. Stress can mean a lot of things. I can put stress on a, a board, stress on a, a body. But stress to us is a, we tend to give it a psychological connotation yeah, and right. correctly. correctly uh, but it's a physical thing. We're releasing specific hormones right. that are good in the short term. That's why stress is good. You need stress. Mm. But in the long term, prolonged stress is not good. Uh, gotcha. it, it passes even from generation to generation. Mm. Mm. So mm. I think you're right on there. Um, if everybody would learn to, to see the world a little bit differently, maybe not, you know, how to reshape specific know, actions and, and goings on in the world, it would be a, a better place. I think, you know, you know yeah, I think so. I think so. You know, I did one more thing and I'll let you, I want to jump back into the, where you, cause you're about to start your professional career now after school. But one, one more thing on that, a, a quick example, my, my kidney areas were hurting me like my lower back, my kidneys. I didn't know what I thought. Well, maybe I got a kidney infection. I don't know. Right. All, all I know is I have pain back there. Just pain, pain, pain for a couple of weeks. I finally called the doctor and I was like, Hey, I think, can you check like, you know, maybe I can do like a urine sample, check my kidneys fascinating he calls me he says you're fine and he's like there's no i don't see anything he's like it's probably just some maybe some lower back pain or arthritis so calm down guess what a couple of days later and like th for the next week i just stopped thinking about it and i'm fine and it doesn't hurt anymore <laughs> and i thought to myself isn't it just fascinating how powerful your mind can be because as soon as he told me that i let my mind tell me hey calm down you're fine like stop stop stressing about it and sure enough the pain started going away anyway <laughs> right i mean it's a lot easier said than done number one because it is it's there for a pain is a, a great example that's a completely psychological phenomena we're experiencing that um but obviously people can feel that in a lot of different ways mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so Fair. yeah it's fascinating that mind-body so connection wow yeah Okay, so you get your you get your doctorate. Walk us into your early career, and then kind of how how you somehow went from hmm, yeah, this career stuff's great, being an employee is okay, but I think I want to start my own business. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Well, number one, I've always marched the beat of a different drummer. My parents okay. will. That's okay. <laughs> uh, so, coming out of of graduate school, I had a couple postdoc interviews lined up, and. Okay. The, the spring of the year I was going to graduate, I met a girl. All right. And she was the one. And so basically I decided, you know what, I'm not, I can't move away again. I was going to go maybe to Oregon or a couple other uh, possibilities. If I was going to give this a go, this whole marriage and love thing, I better <laughs> do it. And I was old because you remember I, you know, I, after undergraduate, I went and played around for a couple of years. So That's I, right. yep. I got a master's and then another PhD. So yep. I was pretty old at that point. Yep. Gotcha. So I decided to move back to Denver, uh, which I loved anyways, and give it a go with this girl who's now my wife. Uh, was she so, from Denver? Was she from Colorado? Yeah. She was from oh. Aurora too. Um, oh, her okay. dad and my dad taught together at Smoky Hill High School, which is a high school out in Aurora. Oh. Uh, but I never knew her. I knew her brother. How, oh, okay. That's how you met her. Okay. Yeah, basically. My and this is another thing. How do you meet her? Well, my mom hooked us up. My mom <laughs> met her at a, uh, a. She was making purses at the time. My wife. Okay. And 
she'd invited a bunch of my her mother's friends over to to check out these purses and oh. my mom chatting her up and said you know what you'd be perfect for my son and Ooh. i think we were both kind of skeptical like all right whatever but <laughs> well i was that. so your wife's got had the little entrepreneurial bug uh, early on oh, yeah. there too so okay oh, so that was all right all right absolutely very cool all right cool so um, move to colorado yeah go ahead that's colorado uh and then <clears throat> So what the heck am I going to do with myself? I don't, you know, I don't have a, a job. Um, and I said, okay, well, I know about the brain a bit. And I know about sports a bit. Okay. So the first inclination is performance psychology, sports psychology, mm -hmm. that kind of area, helping athletes. Mm -hmm. And so I just started reaching out to sports psychologists around the, the Denver region and talking about, can I, come talk to you and see if there's any possibility of working together. And I, I met a couple people, Jennifer Bug and Dan Traffin, were two of my uh, mentors coming out and kind of took me under their wing and, and brought me into more, more of the clinical side of things, which I had never done. I was experimental psychologist, which I really liked. And I was still bringing all of my equipment into it. I, you know, I'm the guy who hooks electrodes up to you to see what's going on. So the biofeedback, which was, was very promising in sports uh, performance. So I started going that realm, started doing a bunch of like neuropsychological assessments uh, and really get into all of that. But realizing that if I wanted to be a clinical psychologist, I'd have to go back to school to do it. And that did not really, because I was only experimental. That was all I was graded out for. Hmm. And that did not appeal to me very much. Okay. Uh, and, and during that time, <clears throat> I was really getting into the, the performance side of sports. And I wanted to not be a practitioner of that anymore, but to apply the knowledge into making a product that other practitioners could start to use. And the, the first thing that really started coming to mind for me was the decision-making, this ability to, to react, read and react quickly to scenarios on the field or on the court, on the pitch, whatever you want to call it. Okay. Because none of, nobody was doing anything like that. Traditional sports psychology is goal setting, uh, positive self-talk, mm -hmm. uh, uh, autonomic and emotional regulation, those kind of things, which are cool, but not what we're talking about here. And I think That's any right. athlete understands that innately, that you know, you're constantly moving around, making non-conscious decisions as you're, I mean, even if your guy's trying to juke you out, okay? That's all non-conscious decision-making <clears throat> to the point where should I shoot this or pass right now based on what I'm seeing okay. and just surveying the landscape understood that, gosh, nobody's doing any of this. This is a, there's a big opportunity here to get into it. So I started doing some research and said, okay, who else has done this? And certainly people have thought about this for a while. Okay. Uh, there've been other things like flashcards flashing up specific numbers or names and, and trying to remember that and thinking that would equate to things. And I ran across something called multiple object tracking, which is the idea that you can track multiple objects simultaneously. And this is analogous to, I don't know, football players, basketball players, having to keep a lot of information visually up in your mind and then react accordingly to them. Okay. <clears throat> and this is a, a, a company called NeuroTracker. And through NeuroTracker, I met a guy who's, a dear friend and still a great guy and part of our company now, Dr. Len Zykowski, who is a, the godfather of modern sports psychology. And we hit it off right away. 
uh, and we were sucked into another company uh, where you know, he was kind of the ambassador looking, reaching out to people and I became the product manager figuring out, okay, what products are we going to build and how are we going to bring these to market? And you were, you were an employee there. I, I was a partner there. We got some equity, uh, weren't getting paid very much, sometimes okay. not at all. Okay. And that turned, that went south. Okay. Uh, that's an unfortunate story where Len lost $60,000 and I convinced my brother to invest $10,000, which he promptly lost as well. I didn't have any money or I would have probably invested and lost it as well. Mm -hmm. And from there, so, we- Some good, some good experiences and learnings there though, right? I mean, you know. Did. Always yeah. are, right? Yeah. That was a really good experience. That was my first foray truly in the business. Okay. There's stuff that I would repeat out of that and stuff I would definitely not repeat yeah. out of that. Yeah. Okay. And that definitely gave me an understanding of to treat people well, always be honest with people and to be transparent with your business partners. Yep. And that was not what that individual was, was doing. <laughs> gotcha. Um, so anyways, we were able to <clears throat> finagle our way out of that business and jump onto another company who was interested in what we we're doing. And this guy was very interested in, in virtual baseball. Okay. Can I, can, can I stop you? Can I just stop you right there? Cause I just want to ask you a question. Are you married at this time? Yes. Okay. So I, I was there any conversations where, what's your wife's name? Sarah. Sir, was there, was Sarah ever like, Hey, uh, so are you, are you, are you going to like make money and have like a regular job pretty soon? Or <laughs> those conversations, you know, we've, we're actually doing pretty well now. I can at least keep things yeah. afloat. <laughs> she's my biggest supporter. No doubt about that. Lucky for me, she's got a, a good job. Always has had a good job That's and cool. is able to support me doing what I'm doing. And well, the just, that she'll get her chance once I'm done. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking about these early fit this early period here when you were first married and you you get you did that one little startup and then that didn't work and now you're over here. And she's like, Okay, this guy I married this guy. He was a great <laughs> athlete, good looking guy. He's got a doctorate, you know. What, what's gonna happen with this? Okay, yeah. Anyway, okay, cool. So you can join this other company. Go ahead. I'm sure she had her second thoughts about that. <laughs> stayed with it. <laughs> oh man, it's pretty good. So anyway. Uh, so we joined this other company. This guy was in the virtual baseball. So the idea is interesting. It's saying we are going to create a 3D kind of VR experience where people can throw and hit, but they're going to compete against each other virtually. So that information is going to be taken in and then they're going to hit it and all that. Sounds awesome. But I think it was a little too pie in the sky and way too far out there. Okay. And so I pushed back to this guy and said, I, again, my, my role was uh, basically director of product uh, development. And I said, this is all cool, but we've got this, this diamond in the rough sitting here. And that is this decision-making, this fast, non-conscious decision-making. And he was not interested in that. He said, well, people can make this readily. There's no IP around it. Uh, people don't even know what this is. I said, well, yeah, but this, we're, we're creating a market right now. Uh, didn't matter. Fell on deaf ears. So he okay. quickly disbanded and said, I'm not paying you guys anymore, and I'm going into this virtual baseball, which, as far as I know, never happened. All right. Um, so let me rewind a little bit. We're, I'm, I'm studying these, you know, all of the stuff I was talking about. Fist, for, pardon me. Fast reactive decision-making, what we call perceptual cognitive decision-making. Uh, which just basically means you're never really conscious of it. You perceive and then you do. 
And the, the most obvious one to me was this baseball, uh, hitting a baseball, which is an impossible task. So how do we replicate this and make this uh, a product, basically? And I started studying the people that were doing this. A guy's name, Rob Gray, came up. He's down at Arizona State. We still know Rob well. And then the name that kept on coming up was this guy, Peter Fatty. Okay. And uh, I really liked what he was doing. And so I went to Len Zykowski. I said, uh, you know, I'm studying this, uh, looking into this baseball pitch recognition and trying to replicate the experience of hitting a baseball. And I said, okay, well, I know this Peter Fatty. Should we meet with him? Said, well, yeah, sure. So we met each other on a, a tennis court of all places down in Naples, Florida, and we right. filmed a tennis pro doing serves. As I, bet I, I, I bet I know right where that tennis court is, matter of fact. Yeah, I know right where that is. I've been there a couple of times. Yeah, go ahead. Pretty nice place. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, sure is. <laughs> Florida, right? Yeah. Um, so we filmed this tennis pro serving, and we all kind of said, okay, this is something. We can do something with this. It doesn't need to be 3D. And this is an interesting understanding about how 3D and VR work. Because as our eyes, we have two disparate images, right? That's what makes us able to see that something is in front of it or something's behind it because we have just two separate kind of images and, and our brains put it together and say, okay, this is kind of a, the depth perception going on. As an object gets, gets further and further away from it, you have this kind of a vanishing line. If you remember, I'm doing it there. In, okay. in art, do you remember a vanishing line in art? Barely, but yes. If you want to show like a three-dimensional kind of thing, everything vanishes to a point. Same is true with your eyes. So as an object gets further and further away, the differences between what your left eye and your right eye is seeing become uh, negligible. Hmm. And that's about 20 feet. So when we're making these decisions, that ball's, in the case of like a tennis court, it's like 70 feet away, uh, you know, 66 feet as, from a baseball perspective. So that 3D VR stuff, doesn't do anything for you because you don't see any difference. It's 2D basically. So uh, we figured that, man, we can go into this. And VR was still pie in the sky. I think it still is truthfully pie in the sky. We're still okay. a bit away from it being truly accessible and, and really working like you want it to work. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so we can make a product of this pretty easy. It's going to be on a phone to do this. And that's what we brought to this guy uh, to, who wanted to do the virtual baseball. So long story short, when he said no, man, we did this was our third start, or this is our my third startup at that point. And again, then my wife's like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> um, we just said, we're going to try this on our own. And so we formed GameSense. How'd you come up with the name? That's Peter's name. Um, and it okay. makes perfect sense. It's a, <laughs> like a sixth sense, right? But it's the your conscious ah. understanding of the game. I see. Okay. Yeah. All right. How, did you bootstrap it? Just you and you and your well, co-founder? Yeah. Absolutely. Bootstrapped it. We're able to get a couple friends and family loans, you know, $10,000, $5,000 here or there to build and, the first prototype. Okay. And then I was going to, I was going to say you use, you use that early money. Oh, sorry. You use that early money to pay developers basically. Basically. Yeah. And I brought in an old friend of mine who I went to Virginia tech with, I was in a band with to be the <laughs> cool. CEO. <laughs> hey man, <laughs> what, are you, what, are you, 
let's get the band back together. What are you working on? Well, tell me what you're working on. And, you're, and then let me, I, I can almost hear how the conversation went. He's like, well, what's it pay? And you're like, well, nothing, but it's going to be really fun. Exactly. <laughs> and and with us, Paul Kohoff, great guy. And he's our uh, CEO. He's developed awesome. everything. And we, have a, we all have a really good working relationship. Um, cool. So yeah, he helped us build our prototype. And then right. I was tasked with building salesperson and the business guy, which I had no business doing. Uh, and I just went out and kind of the old, kind of done a little bit of sales, but not much. And on sales, in my opinion, it was just uh, repetition and, and grit and just getting out there again and again and again and again. So that's what I did. I woke up every morning and just called college teams. And that first fall, we convinced eight or I want to say eight teams to give us about $6,000 each to give them this very, very, very bare bones MVP with only seven pitchers. Okay. Uh, but they, they loved it because they'd never seen anything like it and they knew that it was important. And, and now it, was it this patented protected, like a super technology? I mean, I mean, or is this just no. kind of a, is this a speed to market play right here where that's precisely right. Okay. All right. It's like we came up with a, uh, uh, a mnemonic device. Um, I want you to, what's the one where you're looking around in a room and you're, and you're trying to remember specific things with objects in the room and you're right. associating those. It's like a, just a, a basically it's a heuristic almost. Okay. So our, what we're using here is something called temporal occlusion and there's nothing patent about it. It's okay. out there okay. in the world. Okay. It, all temporal occlusion means there's two, there's also spatial occlusion, but temporal occlusion just means, all right, I'm going to show you a scene and I'm not going to show you the whole scene. Let me ask you, let me do that one more. Hold on just a second, Tom. Temporal inclusion. I'm going to pause it. I'm going to just uh, ask you that. I want to do a little clip in the video there because that's a, that's a good one. Um, I'm going to just say temporal, temporal inclusion. Occlusion. Um, Occlusion. Occlusion, sorry. That's right. Temporal, temporal occlusion. Now, what does that mean? It's a fancy way for saying we're not going to, we're going to limit your information. All right. And so in this, in temporal occlusion, we show you a scene, but we don't show you the entirety of the scene. We cut it off before the completion and we have the user anticipate the outcome based on early visual cues. Okay. All right. So this makes perfect sense when you think about it for very fast reactions, you have to initiate that action well before you actually have to uh, engage with whatever it is you're going to do. Right. I'm not, I'm not a baseball expert, but I've always, what I, from what I understand, that's how the hitters do it. They're, they're starting their swing before they, before they know for sure. And they're having to make a judgment call of some kind. And you have to, right? I mean, that yeah. ball's moving at 90 miles, well, some 80, 90 miles an hour, whatever. That ball's moving yeah. fast. So in order to hit it, you have to start your swing at about a third of ball flight. Okay. You have to initiate your swing. Okay. So that's not very much space, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> You know, maybe 200 milliseconds they have to initiate after the release of the ball. Okay. So and I see. Yeah. Very common. You know, you can think of all the applications for this. Mm -hmm. yep. And we all know those players too, that are out there that are seeing things that other people aren't seeing. They're moving before everybody else. Mm -hmm. They're seeing that, uh, you know, messy or something in soccer. He sees that opening before anybody else sees it. Mm-hmm. And the only way you get good at this, this is another thing that was very intriguing about this whole uh, aspect is that you're not born with this. 
Nobody's born with this stuff. You have to learn it. And the only way you learn it is through thousands of hours of experience. So anybody can get good. It's not like we're, you know, lifting. Yeah, you can get, you can get stronger by lifting and that will make you a better athlete. But certain people have genetic proclivities that make them gain or build muscle mass quicker than others. Is this, is this, is this part of the reason why uh, the best football players and baseball players are commonly known to just watch hours and hours and hours of tape? And, and is that, does that tie to that or no? Absolutely. It is. Okay. Absolutely. You, and the other way is you, you got to get experience. So you got to be on the practice field. You got to get game like experience to replicate that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Film is essentially an, an analog of that. It's an approximation and how we watch film. I mean, I grew up watching a lot of film. And you don't really do that until you get to the serious next serious level. Yeah. Uh, but you should. But how we do film is boring and not very efficient. Right. I mean, we watch something. Okay. You see, they come out and we talk about football. Come on, this trips right here. This guy, look, he's, he's backed up off the line right now. They're going to do a crossing route right now. Or maybe the idiosyncrasies like, let's watch this lineman. When it's a pass play, his, he's leaning back in his stance a little bit. Yeah. So that's yeah. A, something we can pick up on. Yeah. Um, but we don't focus on that kind of stuff and you could do it a lot more efficiently. Even a quiz and kind of a, a drill and practice quiz nature is better than just I how see. we do it. Mm-hmm. You know, watch it, rewind it, watch it again. And then the temporal occlusion uh, adds another element to that where we're forcing your brain to pick up on those early visual cues. We're not giving you any more cues. So you've got to pick it up there. All right. And so you, so you get the, you get it product ready enough to, even though it's still in, I don't know, beta or whatever, but you get it ready enough for these eight or nine colleges to say, yeah, we'll use it. And they, and they paid you just a little bit of money for like some administrative fee or whatever, whatever, what did you have, whatever you called it. (laughs) And they, and they started using it uh, with their pitchers or with their, well, I guess they're using it with all their players because everybody hits. Okay. Yeah. Except, except pitchers don't hit generally. Um, yeah. so we were, yeah, we were using, we got lucky that we knew somebody in an independent minor league frontier oh. league. Okay. So we didn't, we were getting pitchers from these guys, which these are college pro pitchers. All right. We're using them as their, our models for these hitters. And then we were able to start filming pitchers when they came into their ballpark to use as well. Did you have to, to pay these? Did you have to pay the pitchers to film them or no? Yes but I would say we got a pretty good deal from them. Okay. <laughs> a couple hundred bucks looks really attractive to these guys. Right. I was just about to say, Hey, Hey bro, can I just pay a hundred dollars to like film you for a second? <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> uh, I like it. I like it. All right. All right, cool. All right. So now the colleges are using it and, and can you give us the, do, let's do this. I think now's a good moment. Can you give us the, give us the three to five minute elevator pitch for the, for the product and for the business, you know, just kind of give it to us. Like you were, like you were pitching for, you know, doing the five minute elevator pitch for cash or something. Sure. Sure. Okay. So game, game sense. I mean, we're trying to change the world as for athletes because we want to fundamentally alter how athletes train. Uh, Cognitive skills are just as important as the physical skills yet. Nobody's paying attention to them. And our goal at GameSense is to give all athletes all over the world from all different sports access to a tool that trains these fast reactive decision-making skills. 
And we can do that because we don't need VR right now. We'll get into that kind of stuff as it goes, but right now we can, we can democratize this by putting this on your phone. So somebody sure. in Africa, somebody in China, somebody in Jersey can get better at these skills. Uh, so and we created apps to build okay. this. The, the problem though, back to it, is that <clears throat> these skills develop very, very slowly. And that is because they rely on game-like experience and it's tough to get game-like experience consistently. Uh, and also you're focused on other things when you're Right. Uh, so, but nobody is even measuring these things and these are incredibly important to your success as an athlete mm. and it becomes more and more important as the game speeds up. So as you begin to get into higher and higher levels, the game starts to speed up. You need to be making these decisions. You just simply don't have the luxury to sit around and think too much. You have to make up. You know, these are bam, bam kind of decisions. Right. So <clears throat> these are important skills, but again, nobody's even measuring these skills, much less training them right now. Interesting. Have you ever heard of anything like this, Steve? No, I no, I have not. When I was doing my homework on you and the and GameSense, by the way, it's GameSenseSports.com. Yep. When I looked it up, I, my first reaction was, okay, I've never seen this. My second reaction was, like, Major League Baseball teams and NFL teams haven't, like, come up with something like this already? That was my next reaction. <laughs> That's exactly right. I'm like, really? We, could, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, how, how have you not done? I and mean, we know it's there. It's important, but we haven't really, what we're doing is we're just assuming people get better at this, which they do, but very slowly. It's, a, it's kind of an incidental learning. Okay. Or even, even more dangerous, people assume that people are born with this. In fact, even the, the words we use, like we say, if somebody's got a good nose for the ball, they've got good football instinct, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That uh, conveys the idea that, oh yeah, this is innate. They're born with this skill. Mm -hmm. No way. No way. You only get good at this through just, again, thousands of hours of practice, seeing how these things play out. I'm going to use the, I'm going to use the Tom Brady uh, example there and go, yeah, I'm pretty sure he wasn't born with all that stuff. <laughs> no way. Uh, no way. Hours and hours and hours of hours of, you know, decades of study and film. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So, so because there's this huge gap, right? Nobody's studying this stuff. Nobody's measuring the things, much less training these. That's exactly why we created Game Sense Sport, is to focus solely on these fast, reactive decision-making. Another word we could use is split-second decisions, right? Mm -hmm. Another word we could use, intuition, mm -hmm. right? These are the mm -hmm. non-con... And, and then you can start to think about, oh, man, this goes well beyond sports, and it sure does. Mm. And you as an interviewer understand body language you understand the yeah. tonation or tonality of somebody's voice and can kind of feel out okay yes. what is emotional and emotions underlying this person or what are their motives motives right you know? right right uh, certainly military law enforcement this applies but right now we're only interested in, in sports until we we can branch out further okay so all we, right so we did game sense we created apps that train the brains of athletes to make faster more accurate decisions and do you, and how, what's the business model? Are you getting paid by uh, people that download the app? Are you getting paid by the schools? Walk me through the business model. Yeah, uh, it's all of the above. So what we've realized is we kind of cut our teeth in B2B. Okay. So going out directly to college teams, going out directly to pro teams and having them pay us. But we, again, our goal is to, mock, to, 
to democratize this. So we want to get it to the consumer, right into the hands of the consumer. So we have a B2B, B2C, but really our go-to-market strategy is that's evolved in the last six months is B2B2C. So we are reaching out to tournament organizers, um, uh, organizing like entities uh, from the uh, USTA. Uh, we work with uh, Australia quite a bit. So we have a partnership with uh, Tennis Australia right now and Softball Australia, where they can now distribute it to all of their members, right? So we're working with a lot of the tournament organizers here in America who are looking for something that differentiates them, gives them the value add. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, and then what that allows us to do is go directly to their consumers. I see. Uh, and we're either trying to bake that into their costs or we can, and we'll give them, we give them steep discounts uh, because now we have, you know, 5,000 sales or we do a revenue share with those guys. I see. So okay. We feel that okay. lowers our customer acquisition cost. It, it gives us instant credibility. Um, and, and it's, it's tough to, we'd rather give our money to these guys than Facebook or, uh, mm -hmm. Google or any of those other guys that do the direct to the consumer kind of traditional marketing. Are you targeting um, youth and intermediates or like, or does it matter? It, it doesn't matter. Uh, we can help everybody from the, the most elite professionals down to a 10 year old, but ultimately our market is in the youth because number one, they can utilize it probably the most. There's the biggest gain to be had. Yep. There. Yep. Um, Number two, the numbers are huge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we, gotcha. we have a little saying even, and I don't know if we should probably broadcast this, but it's, <laughs> it's our saying, pros for show, youth for dough. Yeah, I mean, it would be great to have a couple of famous baseball players and a couple of teams say that they're using it, but that's, that's not where, that's not where your, your revenue yeah. is really going to come from. You know, that's a, that's a marketing ploy, right? To just, exactly. And then that way, when you are pitching to – uh, the, the, the league president of some, you know, baseball club in Colorado, you can say, Hey, look, you know, such and such team uses this or whatever. Yeah. It's a sales piece. It's a marketing tool. Gotcha. Um, I've, inter I've, I've interviewed, uh, interviewed other, other entrepreneurs with, uh, businesses or software around sports in some way. And usually the conversation goes to, you know, for this thing to make money, it's going to be youth, right? Because what, what are you going to do? You're going, to, you're going to sell it to 32 NFL teams. And then when you're, when you're done with that, then, then, then what, right? I mean, there's only. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Uh, 30 MLB teams, 32 uh, NFL. Yeah. Very limited market. And even college, you're looking at about 300 division one schools. Yeah. So very limited. Okay. We'd rather okay. go with a lower price point and get volume out of that. Plus, I could see um, youth. I mean, uh, a junior high, high school kid—they're going to—they—they're on the smartphones all day long, right? So they're probably, you know, love the fact that they can sit here and test that. And then, so, so if I'm a high school uh, baseball player, I download the app. I'm practicing these pitches coming at me. I'm, I'm, I'm like doing stuff on my phone. Is it, is it, is, is it scoring me? And as, oh, yeah. and, I, and as it scores me, do I get to like see how I'm doing against other people? How does that work? Yeah, we just actually released that. So we have a leaderboard that we put out where now you can compete against other people. Cool. And the leaderboard's unique because it's like you're going on the board. So we're going to jump you up to our second to highest level of difficulty where you're going to see for baseball and softball, you're going to see approximately one-tenth of ball flight. And you're posting to that board, which is a publicly mm. 
publicly available to everybody. Ah, ah. Now that, now that, yeah. yeah, now that that right there could lead to all kinds of stuff. I mean, if that got big enough, then can you imagine all of a sudden a high school kid when he's sending his uh, tape and his credentials to the college because he wants a scholarship. He's also saying, by the way, here's my game since sports score and reputation or ranking or whatever. You're exactly correct. And that yeah. is our goal is we need to establish this as a de facto yes. uh, metric. Yes. For yes. Performance. And it That's is. Where, yeah. Yep. And it yep. is. We just haven't measured it yet. So just as it's like, okay, what's your 40 time? How much do you bench? Right. That's right. Good. Those are giving us clues into your success, your, your potential for success. What's but your, yeah. Still, how would you, how, how, wouldn't you like it if like, you know, Alabama was like every, every athlete they talked to, they would say like, Hey, uh, what's, what's your game since score? Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> exactly what we're looking for. And, what's, and it goes back to the point too, is like, okay, if I'm running and I'm going to use some, some methodology, uh, if I'm running a uh, five, five forty time, which is not, I mean, I guess if you're a lineman, not bad, but it's yeah. not real fast for a wide receiver or a DBE or any of that. You're pretty yeah. slow. Really yeah. slow. Um, you're never going to run a four five. You will never run a four five if you run a four a five five. But if you're not very good at this game sense, mm-hmm. you the only way to go is up. You're going to get better at this if you put in the time. Mm-hmm. So that's that's I think really encouraging. This, yep. this is something everybody can get better at. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I agree. Yeah, love it. Okay, how many employees now? Gosh, uh, no full time employees. What we've done is we've worked with contractors only. Yep. So we have yep. um, basically five co-founders. Okay. Those guys are, we're working every day. Are uh, you, and I'm guessing you're, you're still just putting money in, but you quote, quote, you know, sort of burning cash, so to speak. You're not like actually making enough revenue to pay yourselves a bunch of salaries or yet. Or not a bunch of salaries, but we pay ourselves to keep the lights on. Okay. Uh, keep my wife happy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, I got to uh, stay married during this. Yeah. Um, okay. So you're making enough revenue. You're making enough revenue to bring a little, little, little payroll for people. Absolutely. And okay. we have just been raising a bridge round uh, oh. to get us. Yeah. To because we're really branching out. Uh, we've got great product market fit. People love what we're doing, but it's a really bare bones Spartan approach. MVP still. We've we've okay. made it better and better. But we think that if we really want to bring this to the masses, we need to make it much more appealing visually and competitive wise and gamification, all those kind mm-hmm. of buzzwords. Mm-hmm. And so our, our next uh, milestone will be to do a complete UX UI redesign of the apps. And so you're raising some, you're raising some cash to do that or are you passing out equity to developers or both? <laughs> no, we just raised 240,000. Uh, we also just got uh, brought into nice. tech stars. Nice. Much, yeah. yeah. So that's fun. They gave us money out of that, and they're tremendous. I mean, wow! Great networks get from these guys is just phenomenal. Are you uh, are you getting better at uh, asking people for cash as you move along here? (laughs) Getting better. I wouldn't say it's my my strong strongest suit, but yes. Uh, My other partner, Dave Rames, who even hooked us up through Paul. Yeah, that's his forte, and he's great. Uh, I'm learning a lot from him to to do this. It's a different, it's, it's a different skill set for sure. Uh, yeah, yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. If you've never, if you've never done it, asking somebody to write a check for your, for your product or your company. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a humbling experience. There <laughs> is. It really is. Um, but you know, we have the, we're lucky that we have something that we're passionate about and it's yeah. something that a lot of people are passionate about. Yep. It's, 
Yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's fun. It's it's sports. It's it's kind of entertainment. Um, yeah, it's a cool thing to be associated with. I think as an investor, probably for certain investors, I would think it'd be an it's very interesting thing to be associated with. Yeah, gotcha. We, yeah. So we're yeah. using that money. We're hiring people now. Great. Um, Good for you, man. Good. The UX UI. Uh, we're looking to do a probably a, a seed round coming out of TechStars, uh, which would be good. Um, nice. And then we have baseball and softball currently. And then with this TechStars comes a relationship with Tennis Australia, ah. which is the entire governing body for all of tennis in Australia. They also do the Australian Open down there. Okay. So Very good. Very good. We're making a pilot with them right now. Making some progress. Things are starting to move for you a little bit. That's good. It's, it's fun. It's exciting. It's kind of weird. It's scary a little bit. You know, we're just scientists. <laughs> you but know, we built it for. Yeah. You know, the other thing that's interesting about your story is you're also learning how to be a CEO kind of on the fly, right? Like you, it's not like you went to CEO no, school. <laughs> school of hard knocks. And I made a lot of mistakes. You're right. Uh, about what? Yeah, what, what, uh, how about, I know we're getting close to our time here. I should have, I should have booked you for longer than an hour. Let me, let me ask you, uh, just one line piece of advice for first time CE, uh, first time entrepreneurs, and then maybe a one line piece of advice for first time CEOs. Can you give me both of those real quick? Oh, geez. Uh, okay. For entrepreneurs, I'd say the most important thing in my mind is to be passionate about what you're doing because mm -hmm. entrepreneurship, this is more than one line is almost Sorry. a mental disease in some ways. You have to be blindly passionate and blindly confident in what you're doing. I love that. And that's dangerous. So you better be sure what you're doing is you believe in it and you have a good idea and you can forward through it. Blindly passionate. I like that. That's pretty good. I like that line. It's true. It's yeah. true, right? Because you were, you were going to face so many hurdles and no's <laughs> and pivots and challenges beyond anything you can possibly imagine if you've never been an entrepreneur, I don't care how much you, I don't care what books you've read. I don't care what podcasts you've listened to. You are going to be faced with a hundred times more than you anticipate. So if you're not blindly passionate, you will quit. You will not make it. Exactly right. And that's the other thing we're going a little far. And I'm, I'm cool to go over, Steve, if you want. Okay, cool. So much about business and why I feel like I fell right into it. A couple of reasons, but one of the main reasons is because it's like sports to me. Yeah. This is a competition. It is. <laughs> this is just like, and it's on a team. It's a team sport. Number one, not an individual sport. And everybody's trying to be good. It's just <laughs> like being on a, on a good team and, a, and in a league and, you know, a competition with other teams out there. And is it also kind of like, uh, uh, when you were in high school, like you were probably one of the best kids on the team and you thought, man, I'm pretty good. And then you got to college and you're like, Oh shit. Okay. These guys are all good. <laughs> It's exactly correct. As you begin to jump up in levels, everybody's good. Everybody's good. You would not be there if they weren't a good athlete, right? Yeah, right. And back to our point, really what starts to differentiate you at that point is your mental game, your ability to put in the work, yes. do that. Yes. Um, yes. Those higher levels. Yeah. Anybody, anybody that's been, um, any, anytime I meet an entrepreneur that's had their business for, let's say longer than three years, all of a sudden there's a little bit of an edge. There's a, there's a little bit of a spirit about them that is just tougher than regular people, right? There's just something super competitive and um, I'm trying to think of, I don't know if edge is the right word. I just, I, I, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. 
I just went camping in the mountains on Saturday. I was kind of up there by myself somewhere and I came across this, this couple that was at a campsite sitting next to the campfire. And I sat down next to the guy and we're having a beer and he owns a, con he owns a concrete company. And I told him I owned a recruiting firm and, and he'd had it for like three or four years. And just right away, there's just this, uh, there's this presence about um, entrepreneurs that have made it that far and have started to build business that is just powerful. And they're, they're super um, passionate. They're, they're committed. They're driven. There's an edge. There's um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what other words, doctor, you want to add into those, but there's something about those people, isn't there? Well, you're one of them. Yep. Yeah. I, yep. I agree completely. You know, again, it, it takes a specific mentality to to do this and and some yes. luck uh, yep. no doubt about that yep. Um, yep. But we're in one of the most competitive environments there is no doubt about it and then um being a ceo so now all of a sudden so you got some people that by the way my kudos and compliments to the fact that you've been able to you know talk your friends and acquaintances and your and your and, and have these relationships and say guys come on help me build this thing I can't pay you a whole bunch to get started. In fact, you might have to volunteer some time. I can give you maybe a little bit of an equity play, whatever. But the fact that you were able to circle this team of talent during that early phase when you couldn't pay them very much and they've hung on mm -hmm. and now you're starting to raise cash. I mean, that's a major accomplishment, you know, just for the listeners. Uh, don't take that lightly. If you're listening to this episode to get that done, to talk people into helping you build it from the beginning when they're not hardly making anything, that is not, those aren't easy conversations to have. <laughs> You're selling a dream. Uh, yeah. Uh, yes. That's, that's not different than what we do regardless, but uh, uh, you're right about that. It's not like I'm making, well, yeah, it, it's, it was, we were fortunate to have really good people with us yeah. and that also saw that dream. And we are also, you know, even in that instance, you need some traction or it's going to be really tough. Well, right. You needed, you needed some traction, but I'm just trying to think about it. Cause I was about to ask you, you know, give, give the listeners some first time CEO advice, but I can imagine you're calling one of your friends, right? Like the guy that was in the band yeah. and you're telling him like, Hey, we're going to start this company. And he's probably thinking, okay, now Tom, Tom has never been a CEO. He's never been an on, he's doesn't really, he's never built a business. He's never done it. Like why, why would I, <laughs> right. uh, it, uh, but, uh, what have you learned as a, as a young, as a young CEO, in other words, meaning first time CEO now of this startup, what, what have you learned and what advice would you give for the listeners? Hmm. So much advice I would give. Yeah. Right. That's like um, another hour podcast. Yeah. I would say the most important thing to me is to surround yourself with smarter people than you are. Put yourself uh, around people that know more than you, have had more experiences, and uh, can, can cover up your weaknesses and blemishes. Right. Because you don't know everything. That's for damn sure. You'll never know everything. And so you've got to have people with you that are, do know more than you. And together, back to that team aspect, you're, you're an organism. Now you can make better decisions because you all have these different kind of uh, experiences and input. Uh, to make quality decisions. And that's tough, you know, working on any team too, because people have different opinions, people have different e egos. Uh, but that's the only way you're going to go. What is that one uh, adage? It's like, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I like that. That's pretty good. I like that. Who, 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 the, I'm I'm in <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
that's pretty good. Um, Tom, congratulations getting it to, to where it's at. And it, and it sounds to me like there's been some really early, you know, hurdles and a lot of hard work and passion. And now you're, you're about to hit kind of your first major tipping point and you're about to round the corner, I think, um, on some things, right? I feel like you're about to, you're about to start taking off. And if you raise the, and you get enough cash to hire even more developers and, and uh, more more people i mean yeah it could uh, it could start to it could start to go right uh when you get that when you when you do get that first uh by the way who's the who's the most famous person you've pitched to or famous team or somebody you've pitched to where you wanted them to endorse the product anybody you want to highlight uh well i guess just recently if you know who brad feld is oh the- you mean from uh from uh uh, he's Mobius and what's his other one that's he's in now? I mean, he's the founder of Techstars. Yeah, founder of Techstars. Sorry, I was having a brain cramp. Yeah. So you pitched in front of him. Yeah, we've talked to him a bit. He's very interested in what we're doing. Uh, was that, was, were you a little nervous preparing? <laughs> yeah, you're always nervous for that kind of stuff. Uh, and I think last, last year we went over to do an accelerator with Adidas called Lead. That was nerve wracking too. But, you know, okay. you're starting to get more and more comfortable with this kind of stuff. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, fact, uh, yeah, baseball yeah. players, not yet. We need to get, that's what goes, the kind of guys we're getting into, which would be nice angel investors as well as endorsers, you know. The first time you have to pitch in front of a big time famous coach or something, I want to know how that goes. Call me, tell me, tell me how that went. <laughs> I will. Right. I want, I, want to, I want to know how that went. Congratulations on everything, my friend. I appreciate you being on the Rider Flex podcast. And for the listeners, it's GameSenseSports.com. GameSenseSports.com. The Rudderflex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. Our show can be heard just about anywhere these days, but you can visit RudderFlex.com and click on the podcast page to hear all the previous episodes and learn more about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address info at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes.